0: Dr. McCullough, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, You are an internist, a cardiologist, an epidemiologist from Dallas, Texas, and you've been following very closely uh, the effects that this COVID vaccine has had on children. We'd love for your input on what you think uh, about the latest FDA approval under the emergency use authorization for children 5 to 11 years
1: old. Well, thanks for having me on the program. And you're right, I have been following the data very carefully. And I'm an adult medicine doctor, so I maintain my board certifications in internal medicine and cardiology, and I manage those problems every day. In fact, a patient with COVID-19 just a few minutes before we came on the air. Uh, So I am clearly uh, very familiar with managing COVID-19, its complications, as well as now what we're seeing with COVID-19 vaccination since involving so many individuals. And in my practice, I've ranged down to uh, those in the teenage years, uh, but particularly I've developed a great concern for COVID-19 in younger age groups. And I've told America on national TV now months ago, probably six months ago, under no circumstances should somebody under age 30 uh, be mandated to take a vaccine or have a vaccine uh, given to them against their will because of special risks that young people get with the COVID-19 vaccines.
0: Yeah, and you've published uh, so many different reports. I mean, how many reports now have you uh, published on myocarditis? And I mean, you've been following and tracking this data for several months. Um, Tell us about what you've learned as you've begun to do the research on the adverse reactions in
1: children. I attended one of the open meetings uh, by, uh, by WebEx that the CDC and FDA held regarding myocarditis in June, of 2021 and the story started to break as children uh, ages 12 to um, uh, 17 started to get the COVID-19 vaccines and what was learned is that um, children developed a syndrome of chest pain difficulty breathing uh, in signs and symptoms of of heart failure and about 90 percent of them the parents were so concerned that they brought them to the hospital and they were hospitalized at that time, the CDC and FDA had um, about 200 cases that were confirmed, about a universe of about 600 suspected cases. These were occurring largely after the second shot of either Moderna or Pfizer within a few days of the second shot. So it was very closely related to the vaccines. And the syndrome involved chest pain, SD segment elevation on the EKG, which is uh, the uh, healthcare personnel listening will realize that's a worrisome finding. Very high cardiac troponins, these are blood tests indicating heart injury, far higher than we'd see with a heart attack or certainly much higher than we've ever seen with a, a troponin elevation that can happen with an adult uh, in the ICU with COVID respiratory syndrome. These children had to stay in the hospital, received cardiac monitoring, but a quarter of them had abnormal echocardiograms suggesting that the heart pumping function was reduced. And I went on national TV at that time as a cardiologist and expressed my concern. I said, boy, we've just started with a a, a young uh, adolescent and young adult age group vaccination, and we already have several hundred cases. And my interpretation is what this was just the tip of the iceberg, meaning it was just the very beginning of what was going to happen. Because how spontaneous safety reporting works is initially there is a, in a sense, a lack of recognition. And then the word gets out that something can happen. And then more and more uh, parents, in this case, and children would recognize that damage is occurring to the heart. They start to cue in on the signs and symptoms because don't forget there's also fever, body aches, nausea, vomiting, muscle aches. The vaccines cause quite a constitutional uh, syndrome, if you will, of symptoms, but to recognize myocarditis or inflammation around the heart, the contiguous structure called pericarditis does take some perception on the part of the patient and the family members. Well, I was right, and as we sit here today, uh, there are now over 10,000 cases with permanent VAERS numbers in the CDC vaccine Adverse event reporting system of myocarditis and pericarditis. And we've learned now from a paper from Alvolio and colleagues that's been published in preprint. The title of the paper is called SARS-CoV-2 Spike Protein disrupts human cardiac parasite function through CD147 receptor mediated signaling, a potential non-infective mechanism of COVID-19 microvascular disease. Now that's a lot to digest, but it uh, it tells the readers and it tells doctors that the spike protein that's being produced in the body after the uptake of messenger RNA or adenoviral DNA from the vaccines, the spike protein itself directly damages the heart. It's proof positive that indeed the spike protein damages the heart. So I think it's unequivocal at this point in time. The CDC and FDA initially recognized it in June. The FDA properly put a warning on Pfizer Moderna and said, warning, these products uh, can cause heart damage through this process of myocarditis. And I can tell you no child in any way, shape or form should have a risk of myocarditis to them after injection of anything i'm telling you one case too much i was a bit absolutely disturbed yeah april i was a bit disturbed june when um and you can uh, you can appreciate this as a mother when the officials the cdc and fda officials said two things they said uh that the syndrome is mild and it's rare well i can tell you it's not rare we have 10, cases. So when it, I, was, I was completely mm-hmm. correct about that. And I can tell you, I was also telling America on national TV that it's not mild. And why did I know it was not mild? Because originally, 90% of their cases required hospitalization. And as a mother, and a mother probably of teenagers, you know, it takes a lot to hospitalize a, a teenager. A, it, it, you know, Absolutely. teenagers are as, as robust as you can get especially these guys tend to affect boys more than girls. You can imagine hospitalizing a 15 or 16 year old boy. That is a big deal. I knew it was serious. Mm -hmm. And now the news broke on August 30th, 2021. And the authors are Tracy Hoag and she's the first author, University of California at Davis in Sacramento, California. And the title of her paper is SARS-CoV-2 messenger RNA vaccination associated myocarditis in children ages 12 to 17. A stratified national database analysis. This uh, is in preprint but available for all of us to analyze. She used the VSAFE in VARES data system, so a, a different um, overlay of data. So this provides even more internal and external consistency to the findings. And, and Hoag found that 86% of these cases again resulted in hospitalizations uh, for age groups. And she divided it 12 to 15 and then 16 to 17 year old uh, individuals. She found that for boys with no underlying health conditions, the chances of developing myocarditis or hospitalization with myocarditis after the second dose of Pfizer or Moderna are considerably higher than the 120 day risks of COVID hospitalization, even at the peak times of community COVID. This is a stunning revelation that in fact, children are more likely to be harmed with cardiac heart injury than they are to actually take their chances with COVID and end up in the hospital with COVID.
0: Absolutely. So we really need to stop the fear with parents. I think that's the number one reason why parents would even subject their children to this vaccine is that they're so afraid um, of their children dying from COVID, but truly the data does not support that. Now, you also... uh, co-published a study let's talk about that one that you published a month ago um with let's see with jessica rose and that has let's let's talk about that a little bit because right now you're experiencing some censorship as you uh push to publication
1: well let me finish with um the hoag paper some important sure. yes please do. And then because we really built on her findings with the Rose paper on okay. current problems in cardiology. But uh, importantly, with the Hoag paper, again, University of California at Davis, she found that the um, counts of myocarditis in those 12 to 15 and those 16 to 17 were about the same. So this is important because uh, there doesn't appear to be uh, an age gradient within that range of ages. And this is predicting for parents that in fact, this problem is going to affect the next group we're gonna to get to is those age five to 11. So we already have this prediction in the literature. Uh, uh, Hoag also found that, um, that the rates clearly were much higher, over a hundred fold higher after shot two. So the parents really need to pay attention after the second mm-hmm. injection. And the CDC estimate in terms of Uh, a number given per denominator uh, of administrations, and I I can't remember the exact uh, number given per, um, the the exact denominator, but to give you a relative value of units, the CDC had estimated in terms of a frequency at 66.7 per denominator of a population. The Hogue analysis now has that estimate at 94.0. So I can tell you- What we're learning is it is, from a population perspective, far more common than we could ever imagine uh, from what the CDC and FDA outlined for us. And that was really the basis for the Rose paper. And uh, uh, I teamed up with Jessica Rose, who is familiar to most people now in, in uh, in the world, Jessica trained in both epidemiology and virology. She's one of the few people that has the both skill sets, the quantitative and statistical skill set, but also the biologic skill set. She trained at multiple prestigious institutions in Canada and in Israel, and we've been collaborating. So uh, we have access to the entire VAERS data. It's actually downloaded in in public use data. And while it doesn't have a comparator group, it is very good for describing what we're seeing. And in the Rose paper, uh, which was uh, submitted uh, with an editorial dialogue between Dr. Rose and the editor of Current Problems in Cardiology, it was submitted. Uh, it went through the typical peer review vetting process and then finalized and it was published in Current Problems of Cardiology with a publication contract. In fact, uh, there's payment for color fees, copyright assignments, et cetera. <laughs> And then it was listed in the National Library of Medicine PubMed. So it became part of medical history. That paper described uh, what's happening in the US fair system uh, with strong support of the concepts we talked about of this explosive nature of the um, the illness in younger individuals, men more than women. I think the surprise of the, um, the rose paper is how far the tail of distribution extended up to the upper age groups. In fact, up to age 50, in VAERS, we're seeing myocarditis. And as a cardiologist, I'm worried because anybody who has uh, any underlying heart disease already has a concern, right? If there's a heart valve problem, heart failure, uh, prior, I've seen patients with prior chemotherapy related uh, mm-hmm. heart damage, radiation, heart damage, coronary heart disease, heart blockages, stents, all of that comes into the concern of a cardiologist. Well, you can imagine if there's already a concern or a medical problem with the heart and now superimposed heart injury due to the vaccines, we could be in trouble. We could be something mm-hmm. from hospitalization uh, in observation to cardiac death or arrhythmias need for ICD, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> we published this paper. Uh, it was uh, uh, in, cited in the National Library of Medicine. In fact, it started to get its general use in academic medicine. People download the paper, they um, they use it in analyses, et cetera. They use it in, in terms of citing the literature. And then we were stunned Five days before the FDA meeting on with Pfizer on extending the Pfizer vaccine down to ages 5 to 11, Elsevier, the publisher out of the Netherlands, uh, sent a letter uh, to us and said, we are temporarily withdrawing this paper because they weren't sure if they had invited the paper to begin with. They somehow had checked their records. And I can tell you, I'm immediately suspicious. I've, yeah. I've published over 650 publications in the peer-reviewed literature. I'm the editor of a major journal myself. I know this process. Uh, we, you know, we never pull something out of medical history and then say, wait a minute, we're not sure we have the, the um, publication dialogue to begin with. Well, you can imagine, we have every email. We have every single exchange. We've paid money. The fees have been accepted. Credit cards have been charged. This is a a done deal. This is a contracted done deal. And now uh, what we've had to do is we've had to uh, let the publisher know to expect a lawsuit Mm -hmm. that will come uh, litigated from the United States and a local um, litigator there in the Netherlands. And they're basically going to be sued for breach of contract and then almost certainly what's called tortuous interference, meaning that they are trying to interfere with the academic business of publication of fair information. And this is really important because this is information of public health importance. Right. Uh, scientists, the doctors, uh, the pharmaceutical companies, patients, uh, they all need to this critical information.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the censorship continues and, and knows no bounds. I do hope that you are successful in this lawsuit. Uh, one question I did have for you for, uh, this is a question many parents have, if they have had their child vaccinated, and let's say there are symptoms of myocarditis, um, is this something that will eventually go away? Or is this something that a child is going to live with for uh, the rest of their lives? What does that look like?
1: Unfortunately, we don't know. My main message for parents, uh, mothers and fathers, as well as the children, is, is pay attention to chest symptoms. So if there's chest pain, uh, difficulty breathing, uh, a chest pain on taking a deep breath, make sure you ask those questions because after the vaccine, the children feel sick. They have high fevers, muscle aches, nausea, vomiting. Um, they, you have to kind of, through that constellation of symptoms, figure out if there's any chest symptoms. And if there are, I would recommend a prompt evaluation in emergency room with an EKG, cardiac troponins, and then all children Mm -hmm. uh, who have these symptoms should have an echocardiogram. Uh, That is an ultrasound of the heart. What we know from the original CDC FDA review in June is about a quarter of them had abnormal echocardiograms. The most common uh, finding is a reduced heart pumping function. That's called a reduced ejection fraction. That actually is incipient heart failure. And so uh, Mm -hmm. what the prudent things to do is to have the child seen by a cardiologist If there is uh, the development of heart failure, then the children need heart failure medicines. And I can tell you as a cardiologist, it is so rare that we have to use heart failure medications. But in fact, I've done this in my practice now as these children come in. And that includes the use of what's called renin-angiotensin system inhibitors. Uh, That's a whole class of medications. And then there's another class called evidence-based beta blockers that we must use in this condition. They actually don't help the chest pain at all, but they're just trying to prevent heart failure. The treatment of... The myopericarditis, the lead drug is called colchicine and of interest, that's a drug that actually is shown in COVID-19 itself to have a favorable impact in a clinical trial called the Co-Corona trial. So doctors like myself, were already using colchicine in COVID-19, the respiratory illness, and now we're using it in the treatment of this myopericarditis that develops after the COVID-19 vaccine. Sadly, we've had over 10,000 cases registered permanently in the CDC bear system. None of these needed to happen. None of these cases um, should have happened because in this age group COVID-19 is less than a mild cold. And we know the children, uh, now there are estimates 80% of children have already had COVID in some estimates now. So we know the vaccines are completely unnecessary in this age group They can only cause harm and they don't offer any benefit.
0: Thank you so much. I want one more question. I'm not sure if you if you can speak to this, but I'm curious. Um, when I was doing some research on the Open VAERS website, website, um, I was noticing that some of these vaccines that the children are getting are the Pfizer BioNTech. And then I did see some listings for Nati. And I didn't think that Nati was actually being given to the public. Uh, but it appears that it is already. Can you speak to that, that they are giving both to the public? Do you know anything about that?
1: for those who are viewing the VAERS system, it's important to realize everything you see in the VAERS system are domestic cases, which would be Pfizer, Moderna, and J&J. And then there's non-domestic cases that get reported through other reporting systems. So uh, in, let's say, countries across the Caribbean, any countries that have arrangements with Pfizer, Moderna, or BioNTech, what have you, and they, they have to have some pharmacovigilance, they may use the VAERS system. Those uh, overseas in Europe would use the M- the MHRA system, which is called Yellow Card, or in Europe, the UGRA mm-hmm. system. So there must be some centralized reporting. And it would be my um, inference that the um, that roughly half the cases, in fact, Dr. Rose has shown this, half the cases are domestic and half of those are through other reporting systems. And honestly, it doesn't matter if it's a child in Texas or a child down in the Caribbean. Uh, it, it, it's, it's all the same. But your mm-hmm. point is, that you're starting to see this um, this age distribution change. And with mortality, mm-hmm. a paper we rely on is, is by McLachlan and colleagues from the Queen's uh, University in London that analyzed the VAIR data several months ago. And, mm-hmm. and what he found was that the those dying after the vaccine, and we know about 50% of the deaths occur within 48 hours, 80% occur within a week. I mean, they're very tightly related. Mm-hmm. But on that 86% of the time, there's no other explanation. I mean, it looks like the vaccine effect is the cause of death. And we now know the spike protein itself produced by the vaccine can be fatal in some. But he found that the, the ages, it was the older age group that was uh, particularly affected uh, for the risk of death, those over 65, 75, 85, etc. Mm-hmm. Well, think about this, in the United States, we already have 80% of seniors have already been through that risk period because they took the vaccine pretty early in the vaccine program. Mm-hmm. Who's taking the vaccine now? It's the individuals who don't want it, and they're being forced into taking the vaccine for school or for um, employment reasons or for other social reasons. So we have of people coming forward and taking the vaccine. And of course, these risks of myocarditis, pericarditis, and death, they're constant because the vaccines aren't changing. And so now we see younger people reporting into theirs.
0: Can I ask you, too, uh, we know that VAERS is a voluntary reporting system, but um, as a doctor, are you required by law to report an adverse reaction uh, if you know for sure that, that you believe with uh, you know, all of the information that you have that this was an actual uh, reaction to the vaccine, or is it just still voluntary for physicians?
1: I can tell you it's a part of good clinical judgment, and any mm-hmm. good doctor, nurse, healthcare personnel nursing home worker, domicile worker, if these are going to be administered in school, it's those administering the vaccine. It's really incumbent upon them to report. Now we know some of the deaths occur right in the vaccine center. They literally give the vaccine and they're told to wait and be observed. So the death could occur occur in CVS or Walgreens or right there in the vaccine center. Um, I have to imagine people are reporting that. Uh, We have looked at the question of who reports to theirs mm-hmm. and the association of the American um, Pediatric Association, uh, a paper several years ago with different vaccines, looked at it. And the answer was only 14% uh, percent are reported by the family or the patient themselves. Uh, you know, in the setting of a death, obviously the patient themselves can't report. But the mm-hmm. family would actually have to get the vaccine uh, administration record, have the lot numbers, do the entry, and I can tell you, in the commotion of a of death of a loved one, uh, that mm-hmm. many, times, uh, that that's that, that's just not gonna happen. But, but we know that 14% of the deaths are actually reported by the patient or family members. That means 86% of the time, it's reported by a doctor, a nurse, another healthcare personnel, the coroner, or it can be reported by the pharmaceutical companies as they get reports in from those who are concerned. I'm telling you, the VAERS system is a very serious system The numbers that we're telling uh, our listeners are legitimate, and Mm -hmm. the report that people are relying on once a week, that's called the open VAERS data, Mm -hmm. uh, those are permanent VAERS numbers. So initially, a report goes in, it gets a temporary VAERS number, then the CDC vets it to see if the patient did in fact die or did in fact have myocarditis. I know this because as a cardiologist, I've been called by a CDC officer. And we've gone over the troponin elevations, the EKG changes. We've gone over all the data so we're, we know it's a case of myocarditis. So these cases of myocarditis that we are reporting on the show, these are legitimate, hard cases. The, the only concern people have about VAERS is that it's underreported. The numbers right. are much larger. The numbers are already way too large. The numbers are astronomically large and alarming. Over 10,000 cases of myocarditis, pericarditis, over 17,000 deaths in VARs. These numbers are astronomical. They are exceedingly yeah. alarming right now, and they could even be greater.
0: Yeah, as of the date of, uh, of our interview right now today, the number for adverse reactions is over one and a half million. So the the fact that we're still even having this conversation as to uh, whether children should receive this vaccine or not is is you know beyond me. Why why this is even a conversation right now? It, it seems like the data, the science backs up that no child should ever receive this vaccination. And um, Dr. McCullough, I would so appreciate your time today. We appreciate the hard work that you do. We know that you uh, travel around the country tirelessly. You've been making the rounds, and we appreciate uh, you getting this information out to everyone. Truly, America loves you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.